Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. And together, we research and break down complex issues facing our society and bring our findings to you every other week. Our promise to you... Oh, no, wait! Oh, no. crap! Boop! <laughs> yeah! Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex issues facing our society and bring our findings to you every week. Our promise to you is to bring honest analysis, backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to try and make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. Naturally, we're human, and our blind spots and biases will show through. But our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that together we can discuss and address them in a thoughtful, beneficial way. Due to the nature of our podcast, some of the things that we talk about can get pretty heavy, and they may even be divisive. So we try to lighten the mood and avoid too much doom and gloom, but we still suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. girls can see themselves reflected in the executive leadership of our country by talking about the important topic of representation. How important is it that we all have the opportunity to see someone who looks like us succeeding in important areas of life? And how detrimental is it when we consistently see those who look like us in negative circumstances? But first, we've got a bit of a format change that we want to talk about. Starting this week, we've decided to bring you an episode every week. We're hoping that this format will allow us to keep covering these big deal important topics while maybe shortening the listening time for you guys each week. We know our shows are usually packed with dense information and research, and that can be a lot to digest for 90 minutes at a time. The goal will probably end up, or sorry, what will happen is likely that we will have the same amount of information on a topic but it will be split between two episodes more frequently. So we'll have part ones and part twos more often than we have up until this point. I think actually we've only had one multi-part episode, but it yeah. was five parts. So it was huge. We really, really like started off strong there. This will also help us because to get to get the podcast off the ground, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, we have to have a more regular presence. And uh, it's something that we've been talking about a lot. It might be a little more stressful in the beginning, but hopefully this will allow us to be more engaged more often and keep things spinning smoothly. So that's why we're making this decision. That's why we're doing this now. That's also why we ask you to review and rate and share our podcast every week. Because without that, we get buried. Exactly. And nobody can find us. I mean, we like you guys. We like you a lot, uh, but we would like to have more friends to sit and have these big deal conversations with, so. Yep. All right. So getting right into it, what is representation anyway? To put it very frankly, representation is just how often we see other people who look, think, act, dress, or believe like us 
every day on the street, on TV, in movies, in positions of authority and power. It even matters how often we see them in negative circumstances, like in prison. You can take almost any identifying characteristic and find groups advocating for more visibility and inclusion for folks with that characteristic. I mean, there are groups fighting for more inclusion for catfish farmers and also to hashtag normalize breastfeeding, right? And all of that is fine. These perspectives are worthy of consideration and important. We all need to see people who look like us represented well. But what we want to talk about on these episodes is the importance of seeing your core identities and perspectives represented. A lot of focus here is placed on race, but gender, sexual identity, and disability status are also really important areas of focus as well. And like most topics that we cover, it goes a lot deeper than just how often we can see ourselves reflected in the people around us. Real representation gives voice to the unique experiences of every group included and promotes the idea that each of us brings a different and valuable set of characteristics to the proverbial table. Conversations on representation include whether or not we should ensure that people with diverse perspectives are included in politics and in positions of authority, whether we should skew hiring or college admissions practices to incorporate a wider spectrum of identities. And you can hear a lot more about that kind of stuff if you listen to our episode on affirmative action, for example. Um, And then it goes as far as to ask us to consider whether our systems are really as meritocratic or diverse as we think that they are. If you're a person who very regularly sees yourself reflected in whatever your core identities are in the world around you, you might be asking at this point, does representation like this really matter that much? I find this question or some variation of it gets asked most often by people like me, people who have seen themselves on screen over and over and over again ad nauseum. I am Jason Bourne. I'm Captain America, James Bond, every Hallmark holiday special love interest ever. (laughs) I am Batman. What I mean is I barely even have to think to find examples of heroes, of main characters, of lead roles, musicians, politicians, CEOs, and on and on and on and on and on that are basically all the same. They're, they're white dudes. Now, that isn't to say that they're, they're, there's something wrong with them or it is bad that they are white. It's not the fact. There's nothing inherently that they should feel guilty about being in those positions. And I don't want this to come off as a white guilt trip. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, not, that's not the goal. Right. I'm not, I don't want to, this session, we're not really trying to discuss like why that is, you know, but if you listen to our series on systemic racism, you probably have a really good idea about how things have developed like this. Suffice it to say, those were episodes one through four and then episode six. Suffice it to say, it's essentially, and sadly, it's the norm that white folks and especially white men dominate most of the positions that command respect in our society. But wait, I hear you say, most of our sports ball players are black, aren't they? Doesn't that mean your arguments about representation kind of fall apart there? Yes and no. (laughs) There's a pretty darn good reason why that's the trend. And we can get into that 
later uh, or in another episode. For now, we need to set aside our sports world. There are many, many other important areas where black folks are underrepresented. Like I said, the story about why sports is the way it is has a very long and complicated history that isn't great either that we can get into. It'll be its own episode, I think. So back to me, because I like talking about me. The people who fail to grasp why representation is important and who subsequently tend to gripe about forced diversity are, in my experience, people who have never had to search very hard for cultural icons that look like them. Honestly, I didn't even understand the impact and importance of representation myself until Black Panther came out. So that was 2018. And that year was actually a great year. We had Black Panther, we had uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that came out, which was awesome. And those were, you know, by far not the first movies to feature Black representation. But in my world and in my orbit, those were the definitive movies that kind of opened my eyes. Boy, (laughs) if that wasn't an eye-opening experience, I don't know what would be. If you need an illustration of why representation matters, think about the spring of 2018, of how an entire community identified with and absorbed the story of a king in a fictional nation, of how that inspired people. I can still hear the joy in my friends' voices when they talked about Black Panther about what that movie represented to them. Without anybody saying it explicitly, you could just know in your core that this was important, like capital I, important. This was the closest thing to to sacred, a sacred experience, I think, that we get in the modern age. Not the movie, but the reaction. And that in and of itself should be enough of an answer about whether or not these things matter. (laughs) But we're going to go deeper because we don't just ask you to take our opinion as sacrosanct here. And it won't be any different in this episode than any other. So as we mentioned earlier, the way we see people, especially people that we can quickly identify and categorize through sight or, or a sense, some with a visible or tangible or obvious difference from us, the way we see them in media, in our fiction, informs how we see those people in our day-to-day lives. So pre-9-11, most Americans didn't really care if somebody was Muslim. And I mean, I, I was very young when, when the Twin Towers fell. But I know that there is a a cultural difference in the lives of Muslims between or before 9-11 and post 9-11. I know that changed. And not just Muslims, Arabs, Sikhs, people from the Middle East in general. Um, But afterwards, we saw after 9-11, you know, we saw a huge spike in hate crimes against Muslims and, and people thought to be Muslims like, you know, people of the Sikh faith. 
looking at the figures compiled by the FBI, the number of anti-Muslim hate crimes, those incidents jumped in 2001 from 28 to 481 incidents. And that number dropped in the following years, but it has never returned to levels reported before the 9-11 attacks. So why? Obviously, the direct backlash against perceived terrorists was a huge factor, but we still see elevated hate crimes and general distrust of Muslims in the U.S. today. And one explanation is the way these people and cultures are depicted in our media. That's a part of the explanation, I should say. Media biases are, unfortunately, prominent when you think about the bad guys in our stories. Minorities are often presented as criminals, as terrorists, uneducated, or, or they're highly sexualized, and on and on and on. For every minority group that I can think of, I can also think of at least one negative stereotype, if not several, of that group in our media. As we've talked about before, the way these groups are shown permeates our subconscious, creating unconscious biases which negatively affect the way individuals interact with each other. The negative impact of stereotypes need hardly be addressed, but we're going to. And to drive the point home, in his paper, Race and Punishment, Racial Perceptions of Crime and Support for Punitive Policies, Dr. Nazgul Ghanoush discusses how these implicit biases have led to unnecessary discrimination and police shootings of black males. Beyond that, media coverage of alleged black criminals which is kind of like the phrase used, the alleged criminal, the alleged robber, the alleged murderer, when it comes to black suspects, creates, that creates a domino effect in also impacting the justice system. So our jury members, our lawyers, our judges, they are human beings who live in the same society that we do, and they consume the same media and absorb the same subconscious biases and develop them, and consequently they hand down tougher punishment for blacks. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. The way that we see each other and experience each other, especially others, the, the bucket of people that is other, right? That affects literally every part of our society. Are there negative stereotypes about white people in the media? Absolutely. 100%. But the way that I as a woman of color, experience the stereotypes about white males in the media is completely different than the way that white males experience the stereotypes about white males in the media. So a lot of this is really comes down to how we see and experience each other. It affects who runs our country. It affects who runs our companies and our classrooms. It determines who we choose to fight against or fight alongside. It determines which behaviors and values and ideas are accepted or promoted in our culture and which ones are shunned. And when we don't work to include perspectives from those people who are different than us in really important ways, we end up with a society in which only the most dominant group is represented and reflected in those really important ways. 
Yeah, and in short, we, as a society, we need to do better when it comes to representing all our members as the complicated, multifaceted, fully-fledged human beings that they are. Um, I found a quote from White House correspondent Cheris May that kind of illustrated why the why that's so important. And this is in the context of of journalism, of the of our writers. And they say, representation matters so that the full story can be told. And so you don't have a one-sided story that isn't a fair representation of a diverse population. The media needs to represent the society that it serves because if people don't see themselves, then it's almost like a lack of care that's communicated to people. There has to be some diverse voices that represent everyone in the society that can speak from the voices of those people because there are different issues and different things that are of importance to us. That was in a personal interview that they gave in 2018 related to one of the researchers in another paper that I found. So we've discussed why it's important and why it matters. Why are we breaking this down? I feel like I feel like people are going to think that this is common sense, especially if they're our audience members. They've already probably become or they're accustomed to thinking about topics in a more nuanced fashion than maybe the average person, because the whole point of our show is doing that. Um, so if you're sticking around with us, you might be wondering, like, why is this needing to be broken down at all? Yeah, I can I can just hear you asking us through your personal listening device. Isn't what you just said enough? Why why do you need to break this down any further? Don't people understand that representation is important? And my answer to that is they think they do. I genuinely believe a lot of folks think that they're hip to this diversity trend because they don't support active discrimination against folks with different identities. We talked about this in our um, in our arguments against systemic racism episode. Where, where we talked about the idea that people think that just the absence of discrimination is the same as working toward diversity. There are still a lot of people who don't agree that representation is something that we need to actively work toward. They tend to fall back on that idea of merit and the belief that the most objectively or traditionally qualified person should always get the opportunity. They feel like we shouldn't force depictions that don't feel quote unquote natural. When the reality is, like John just mentioned a few minutes ago, that they've become accustomed to being surrounded by what feels natural to them. I remember not too long ago, I was watching a music award show and a country artist that I had only ever heard on the radio walked out on stage. And I was thoroughly surprised to see that he was black. And then I was thoroughly surprised that I was surprised. I mean, I'm black and I love country music and I can see you all through the radio putting on your judgy pants. Don't do it. Do not even do it. Hold on, I want to ask who was who was the artist? I was um ah, what's his name? Uh, Jimmy Jimmy. I want to say Jimmy Page, but that's not that's not the right name. Uh, uh, Jimmy Allen. It was Jimmy Allen. Jimmy. Okay, yeah. I hadn't even heard of them. I mean, I'm not yeah. a huge country person, but. I knew of a few black country artists, but apparently that right. one wasn't on the radar, so. Right. And, and like, I had that moment where 
even the most wokest of us all have our moments where we realize that we have just engaged in something absolutely unwoke, right? Mm. And I was talking with my husband later that day, and I made the comment that I'm really ready for the day when we're no longer surprised to see insert identity here person portrayed in any particular way or serving in any particular role. We should be accustomed to seeing gay scientists and black astronauts and female sheriffs and deaf lawyers and transgender teachers. Those people all occupy the world around us. And yet we're surprised to see them depicted outside of the roles that we've created for them in our media or in our minds. And even more important, most folks or many folks don't see the value in putting in the effort to build that diversity. A 2019 Pew Research Center study showed that 75% of respondents believed that employers should promote racial and ethnic diversity in the workplace, but only 24% believed that hiring processes should take race and or ethnicity into account, along with qualifications, to increase diversity in the workplace. Nearly 60% of people believe that ethnic and racial diversity has a positive impact on our country, but 43% of white people between the ages of 50 and 64 said that they feel uncomfortable hearing someone speak a language other than English in a public setting. There's a disconnect here between what people say they believe and value and what they think is necessary to get to that. But the good news is, I guess that's where we come in, right? With all of our research in hand to help everyone figure out just how important it is to our individual and societal well-being to be represented well in the worlds that we live in. But before we get to the research, I really, I want to tell you a story that made this topic more real to me than any statistics that I have uncovered so far. I really want to tell you about a girl named Suma. Suma's young. She's, I think, maybe five or six. I don't know for sure. She's adopted from India. And I only know her mom tangentially, one of those social media acquaintances, friend of a friend situations. But on Saturday, November 7th, shortly after the AP officially called the presidential election for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I came across a Facebook post that stopped me absolutely dead in my tracks. And I'm just going to read it because there's no way that I can sum it up in a powerful way. And I'm going to try not to tear up, uh, but I, I really have not been very successful <laughs> so far in not, uh, not tearing up just a little bit when I relay this story. Um, so Suma's mom said, We were heading to the Indian store to pick up some things for Diwali when we heard the news announced that the Biden-Harris campaign passed the 270 mark. As the show host talked, some of the things that he said jumped out to Suma. She heard a lot of firsts. Kamala Harris is the first woman to be vice president. She's the first black and brown woman to hold the office. Suma already knew that Kamala's mommy is from India, just like her first mommy. And she said, Mommy, a brown India girl like me is going to be in charge. We should have an India dinner party with fancy clothes because that's probably what Mrs. Kamala's mommy is doing to celebrate and I want to celebrate too. It's so exciting, a brown India girl like me. Can you believe it? And she said all of that in one high-pitched, excited breath. Regardless of your feelings on Biden and Harris for a moment, I hope that you can appreciate what this means to my brown India girl and others like her. Someone with whom she identifies on many levels, gender, color, ethnic heritage, in charge? 
it's a big deal. That's an awesome story. <laughs> right. And I'm, she's not the only one I remember seeing the, obviously she's not the only one, but if you have seen any of the coverage about Kamala's mother's home, like where she was from in India, when they got the news, the celebrations that they put on. Yeah. And, and beyond that, a lot of places, <laughs> other villages, other cities, other places in India celebrating because of the American vice president. Yeah. Which has no direct impact on them other than confirming that their people, their group, their self, in the plural sense, right, is capable of achieving, quote-unquote, the second highest office in the world. Yeah. Right? That's pretty impressive. It is. And, and the idea that we wouldn't put in the effort, that we wouldn't do the work to create those moments for people of every different kind of identity in this country. I don't know. It's just baffling to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You see it. The Marvel movies are, again, kind of a nerd. But you see it happening with the Marvel movies, too. You see... It was Brie Larson played Captain Marvel. Yeah. Right? And she did great job. She portrayed the character well. The movie was great. And so many people were so upset about the film because it was a female superhero <laughs> lead. Yeah. And nothing objective about the film itself. You know, and, you know, people will have their quibbles with Marvel in general because it's not like they're high cinema most of the time. It's not... You know, Citizen Kane, which <laughs> is still a problematic film. Right. Um, but like, you know, but they're so groundbreaking on so many levels. And we have people pushing back against it. For what? For what reason? Because forced diversity? I don't understand how you can lack... I don't understand how you can lack empathy to the degree of being upset about it. Right, right. It's one thing to just not care about it. Okay, fine. I don't care about several things that are important to other people. That's one thing. But to be actively upset about it and set out to destroy these things in some cases or to boycott them or get them taken down, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to both of us. It's actually, I mean, obviously, it's why we created our podcast is to address these things that are difficult to understand and to explain really at its core, we are explaining our perspective and why we are so passionate about things yeah. using the data that we have found to support our side um, to kind of bridge that gap. Sorry. No, it's, there's so many, Oh dear listener, what you will find in this episode and the next one is that there is so much to say and so much we did not have an opportunity to say. Like there's, there's literally scores and scores and scores of information about this very topic from the highly academic to the easily accessible. And so um, I would encourage you, don't just take our word for it, right? Like you are the kind of audience that goes out and 
learns more and does for yourself. So if you hear us talking about something in these incredibly dense episodes and you're interested, go out and find more. I promise you it exists. Yes. Although be careful because uh, while we're researching this one, <laughs> yeah, I am pretty real. sure I, I, I ended up on an alt-right website talking about... <laughs> Yeah. these topics and 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 their reactions to them and um that might have put me on a list which might get me into some trouble with work so i'm gonna have to write a memo i think uh <laughs> <laughs> it, just be careful of your sources i didn't recognize the url as being problematic and that was a mistake right at this point we should start talking about who needs more representation and I'm going to wager a guess that the folks listening to this podcast will be able to determine exactly what we're about to say. But why don't we just say it clearly? <laughs> this part, it would be really, really easy just to say uh, everyone who's not a white male needs more positive representation in society. And then just kind of leave it at that and wrap this episode. Um, but you know that's not how we roll. Doesn't matter. We want... Nah. <laughs> we want to know. And we want for you to know what groups seem to be lagging behind in opportunities from a researcher's perspective. So this is where we're really going to start throwing the knowledge at you. We'll hit some key numbers group by group and then talk through the key areas where researchers are looking at representation. Uh, and yeah, for the heck of it, we'll add in my people, the white <laughs> men, <laughs> as a control group. So let's start with them, actually, because uh, it's easiest. In... 2019, there were 116,963,622 white males in the United States, according to the Census Bureau. So there are 117,000 white dudes. 117 million, million, million white dudes. So that's somewhere around 35% of the total 2019 population. That means when we start in when we start to dig into specific areas where representation matters strongly, we're looking for something like a target of that percentage. We want to be in that ballpark. But what you'll notice quickly is that in many of these areas, especially those that carry wealth and authority with them, white males outpace their percentage by a significant amount. I'm sure you are all as shocked and surprised as I was to come up with that number. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about women. Just in general, women. That same census data that tells us, tells us that 51% of the U.S. population is female. 166.6 million of us. And 119 million of those ladies are white. So we're looking at 36-ish percent of the population being white women. And the other 15%-ish being women of color. And though women in general have made huge strides in representation in the last hundred years, when we look at the numbers that way, it will quickly become obvious that women are not represented proportionally in many, many important areas. So we could move on to people of color. We make up about 40% of Americans if you count those who identify as Hispanic whites. 28% if you count only those who do not identify as white at all. Now, we know that historically, people of color have faced huge obstacles, understatement of the century, in this country mm -hmm. from slavery and colonization to public perception to 
explicit racism in every facet of public life. So it makes sense that we are playing catch up when it comes to inclusion. Right. Uh, real quick, you said identify as Hispanic whites and then separated that out as people who don't identify as white at all. I don't think people necessarily know that Hispanic isn't really like a single quote unquote race. Right. Like it's not a single yes. color of, of, of skin. It's kind of a catch all term that is really inaccurate. I Actually, I don't even know what it fully covers. I think it kind of just means people who speak Spanish. Yeah, there's a really... (laughs) At some level. There's a really valuable Venn diagram out there that I found one time um, because I will admit that I have a... uh, I have had historically some trouble knowing when to use the term Hispanic versus the term Latinx, right? And where Mm -hmm. they inevitably cross over. Uh, So I'll try to share that on our social here coming up because there's a really important distinction between people who are Hispanic um, and people who are Latinx and where they Mm -hmm. cross over. But generally Hispanic means um, your groups of people that are descended from Spanish-speaking ancestors, and that includes Spain, but it doesn't include Brazil, whereas Latinx includes Brazil, but not Spain. That's interesting. I guess because Brazil was more Portuguese, the influence? I think so. Or, I don't know, we'll have to... I gotta learn more about how that works, specifically. Yeah. The important part for our demographic breakdown is that you can have... Hispanics who have black skin, you can have Hispanics who have brown skin, and you can have Hispanics who have pearly white skin. Yes. And they are all equally Hispanic. Yes. And so that's why the census, I think, allows for uh, white. That's why actually a lot of forms you'll see white, not Hispanic, um, and then like white, Hispanic slash Latino. Yes. So that's where that comes in. So that's why there's there's kind of two different stats there. And uh, I am, I'm sure we got something wrong in there somewhere. So I apologize in advance. Uh, <laughs> if we did, let us yes. know so we can issue a correction. But also, um, if, if we did get it wrong, and that is one of your core identities, please talk to us, tell us, like help us understand, oh, yeah. because the best way to learn is from people who that is their lived experience. So yeah. So the next group, uh, people with disabilities, strikingly hard to get a lot of data about them overall. But people with disabilities make up about 13% of the U.S. population. And while there was a significant emphasis placed on inclusion of people with disabilities since the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act, since that passed in 1990, uh, there are still significant gains to be made in seeing people with disabilities represented, represented proportionally in key areas of our society and culture. And I did not realize, or at least I hadn't twigged to the fact or hadn't grokked the fact that the ADA was only passed in 1990. I know. That's only 10 years ago, perpetually, or 30 years ago in real life. In real life. Because it will will always be like 2000. 2000. The 80s will be 20 years ago in my head. Always. Uh, (laughs) Forever. Yes. Um even though that's not true. Yeah, 30 years ago, that's it. 
and and we still see you know non ADA compliant buildings yeah you know, that, that were grandfathered in they didn't have to update and and people still struggling uh, to be full members of the society uh, as a, as a person with a disability uh, it's just a, yeah. Things that continue, we continually find things that make me surprised and sad while we do our research, and that was that was one, that of, was them. one of them. Yeah, yeah. Another, I don't want to say large group because we don't know for sure uh, that that deserves and needs more representation in our societies. The LGBTQ community. This one's really tough to pin down exactly as far as numbers go. A 2017 Gallup report that was based on about 340,000 interviews estimated that the LGBTQ population of the U.S. was around 4.5%. Um, but this is absolutely not a set in stone number. That number is practically impossible to find for a number of reasons, one of which being that they are not fairly and well represented in our society. And therefore there is a incredibly huge stigma uh, that comes with identifying as a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, and it's not like the U.S. Census asks people to report on the number of LGBT members in their households. Um, although the 2020 census did include an option for folks to indicate whether they were in same or opposite sex partner relationships with another member of the household. Um, I don't. I can't say whether that's a good thing or a not good thing, but hopefully it will allow us to get a clearer indication of how many members of that community are in the American population. Um, but the best that researchers can do is the best that they can do. And if that 4.5% 4, 4. number holds true, that still shakes out to something like 11 million American adults. Our knowledge about the LGBTQ community and what factors are important for their continued mental health is growing. And it's becoming increasingly clear that representation is essential to allowing them to participate well in American life. Right. There was, um, actually I had two comments that I wanted to make about this section. One was them. One of them is the, the, the dust up about, uh, was it Kristen Stewart talking about, uh, LGBTQ representation in film yeah. and how the actor need not necessarily be LGBTQ or I saw one that was LGBT asterisk, LGBTI asterisk. Yeah. I don't know what the appropriate one to use is anymore. I know. <laughs> I have to look it up. If somebody knows, let me know. We're, again, trying not to intentionally step on people's toes here. But, um, and that was a really compelling thing. Basically, her, her argument boiled down to it doesn't really matter if the actor is, is LGBTQ or not. It's, it's the, the representation of the character on the screen and how they are in, in the context of the story. And then the most important change necessary for good representation is going to have to take place behind the camera. Our producers, our directors, our writers, we need more of them there. Because, and I, I tend to agree with her from an acting perspective, there are certain things that don't have, like there's no flashing neon sign that says I'm gay or I'm straight. Right, somebody on the street could look at me, and they won't know if I'm gay or I'm straight. So it shouldn't really matter if the actor playing them, at least from a visual perspective, is gay or straight, because it won't make a difference beyond what is written in the script. 
I can also see the argument of saying that our LGBTQ people have been neglected and sidelined yeah. and marginalized for so long that we need to to make an active effort like affirmative action to get them into roles. And then what better role but a, a role that is based on their lived experience? Totally understand that too. Um, I think it becomes a difficult argument, however, when you can turn that around and we know that we have uh, LGBTQ people playing straight roles, Mm -hmm. non-LGBTQ roles. And then if, again, there's no real visual difference. There's no, like, I would not play a black person. I would not play Martin Luther King Jr. Because there is some big problems with me doing that. (laughs) The, you know, most probably glaring one being that I glow in the dark. And that is going to, like... It's just it's just not right. It's not historically accurate, although not every film needs to be. But it's just also just culturally insensitive and and wrong. Right. For a white person to play Martin Luther King Jr. Probably senior too. Wouldn't want that. So I don't know. It's comp. That's a very complicated issue. I'd be really interested to hear our listeners' thoughts on that. You know, I tend to agree with with Kristen Stewart, and she's. Uh, I think she came out as bi herself. I think so. Yeah. So it's. She's not like, I feel okay talking about this from that perspective, both being an actor and also because this is coming from a person from the community. I feel like if every person of the community were of a unified thought on this, perhaps <laughs> perhaps then I wouldn't have no argument here. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, and like, it, we saw that. I saw that too. And we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about disability representation in the media. But there is that that idea that if there are people with genuine lived experience who are available to bring that level of authenticity to a role, should we not defer to people with that lived experience in that role, especially when we have a history of them being marginalized and kept out of roles like that in the past? Um, but then there is also that argument that is... That is, if you are going to give us a positive representation in the media, then we'll take that positive representation whether or not the person playing the role is uh, has that as lived experience themselves. Yeah. And it just, it gets really complicated as a lot of this stuff does, you know? And my, my thought is like, it's, it is acting at... And if we're going to be, if we're going to be saying that to to bring it out on on screen in the confines of a script that lived experience or or experience is necessary to play a role, again, where do we draw that line? Yeah. Because we have people playing World War II generals, you know, that are you know, forty. Right. <laughs> they weren't even alive. Right. During World War Two, so why why does that lived experience not count, or why does it not matter then? I, again, it's it. I just I'd love to talk to somebody that's active in the industry because I'm I I actually you know removed myself from that scene. Uh, some ooh, God, a decade ago now, uh, almost. Wow, I haven't been on stage in a really long time, and it like I'm jonesing for it. I that. That kind of hurts my heart to think about how long it's been. But uh, 
I would love to talk to somebody who's active in it right now about, you know, what the industry perception of it is from the inside and, and their own personal thoughts or, or from our listeners. Yeah. And then, okay, sorry. My second thought about this and specifically about the, the census and our LGBTQ community is that I would not be surprised or I, I'm not, it's not even that I wouldn't be surprised. I know not for a fact, but I know in the sense that I can't imagine it being any other way. So this is technically opinion, but I feel like it is a very solid one that people in the community did not respond. They did not self-identify in the census because of the government issuing the census. Right. Because specifically it was Trump's government. Yeah. Because we know that they were arguing to get a citizenship question put on the census and that the, the reasons behind getting that citizenship question put on the census were not altruistic we know that it could have been used to to the detriment of non-citizen residents of the united states Mm -hmm. and as if i were if i were part of the lgbtq community i would not trust this government as it stands to to protect me or or to not go after me after i had raised my hand as being part of that community yeah and we know that there have been, you know, several attempts or lawsuits or attempted workarounds to restrict LGBTQ rights since the Trump administration took office. Yep. You know, to to rescind, I hate calling it gay marriage, to rescind marriage between same-sex partners. Right. So I am sure that we are not going to see an accurate representation in this census. It just, yeah, I feel like the risk factor was too high for our citizens to answer that honestly yeah for a lot of them hopefully with the incoming administration we will have the opportunity to to start regenerating some of that trust and maybe going forward something like that could be uh could be beneficial in the future but yeah i don't see it now A, a lot of it that trust is going to have to be built by making things unassailable yeah right it's not just going to be, we'll have to make it so it's not just a court decision that could take it away. Yeah. Otherwise, nobody will ever, will ever trust it. And, you know, trusting the government, as somebody who works in the government, trusting the government is not a smart thing to do. Because the government is not a single person. The government is a conglomerate of entities with personal vendettas. And depending on how they have power at that moment, or who has power... Even if you trust certain people in the government, the government at large might not be safe for you. Yeah. And I hate that we live in a society where we have members in it that have to feel that pressure, to have, that have to think that way. That's absolutely terrifying. It is. Me. And it is another reason that this positive representation is so incredibly important. Right. The more people we have in our fiction, in our boardrooms, in our new studios, in our classrooms, yes, in our sports arenas, that model these, I don't want to call them positive stereotypes, who demonstrate the positive, non-stereotypical aspects of other cultures. These things that 
are the truth of the culture, of the complex person, of the of the multifaceted individual that is more than the stereotypes stereotypes that we have saddled on them as a society. The fewer the less weight stereotypes and especially negative stereotypes overall are going to carry in our framing of the world whenever we think about things or discuss them. Um, so that is that is at the very root of the heart of the matter, the very heart of the matter. That is why representation matters. Boom. And I think that's kind of where we're wrapping this episode. A very very lean and mean. and mean Agile. hour or so yeah. roughly Some, of somewhere in there. information coming at you hot but only one week from this point to the next one uh so instead of two so hopefully that'll work out pretty well we'll see it's kind of an experiment let us know what you think yeah speaking of letting us know what you think robin yes plug us shamelessly shamelessly if you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes so far, we would greatly appreciate your support in a few ways. The first way, if your favorite podcast listening platform allows you to leave us a review, please consider doing just that. Your review will help other people discover our podcast and show platforms that we're providing valuable content here. Uh, you can do that conveniently by visiting our link tree, which is available on all of our social media platforms. Hey, speaking of social media platforms... That brings us to the mm. second way you can support our podcast. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Fireside Breakdowns have not yet uh, made the brave jump to TikTok because I'm old. Uh, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> that you'll, you'll be alone on, on TikTok, Robin. I'm old. <laughs> the, the Fireside brand will only be tic, will only be Robin oh my gosh. on TikTok. No, I'm it's, not doing it. I'm not putting that program on my phone. Oh, it's so valuable, but so. it's also very intimidating. Uh, but there, Facebook and Instagram, you will find links to our episodes, to supplemental resources, to things we find interesting, like the very helpful diagram that helps us all remember when we should be using Hispanic versus Latinx. And mm. if your platform does not allow for reviews, you can always drop us a note or leave us a review on social media. It's so convenient. So good. So good. Um. Robin, what do you mean by supplemental resources yes. specifically? What I mean is that sometimes as we're researching, researching an episode, we find something that is so overwhelmingly interesting that we cannot include it all in the episode. We would just sit and read a paper to you, which, I mean, as cool as that would be. Yeah, we, I would be there for that episode. I, yeah, <laughs> let us just read you a paper. Uh, but sometimes we just can't include as much from a resource as we want to in a cast or we find a really, really interesting resource that we can't even work into the cast. Uh, mm -hmm. So we will share that with our dear listeners and anyone who should care to find it on social media so that you can go and check it out for yourself. All right. Yes. And in our show notes, I think we mention it all the time, but we list every single source that we pulled from in our in our notes. Yes. So there are it is so many so many sources so many sources a lot of them come from uh journals online and you can access those 
you might think, oh, I don't have an EBSCO host account, so I can't, I can't look that up. I, I'm sorry. I just want to put this out there. If you have a local library, you have access yes. to these resources. That is how we get them. <laughs> After our first episode, actually, I recorded, I was like, please, somebody sponsor us. And then I realized that our, our taxes sponsor us. Yes, we sponsor ourselves. <laughs> our public libraries give us access to these things. Yes. So, you know, your mileage may vary depending on your locale and, and your library system. But uh, if you too want to get in on the game of really digging into research, that is that is where you can start. And that is also where you can find a lot of our sources. Yes. Uh, through through your local library, through EBSCOhost and, and JSTOR, stuff like that. Yep. We also rely very heavily on uh, actual government data. There's, I think, at least four sources in these two episodes from the U.S. Census Bureau. And then there's oh, yeah. uh, the United States Congress and a bunch of other stuff. All of that is readily accessible to you if you have access to the Internet. Uh, you just kind of have to know where to find it. So, yeah. yeah. And then finally, the last way that you can support us, we would love to just hear from you. We want to know what you think of the episode. We want to know what you want to learn about. Uh, we make this podcast for you and also because we're nerds, but mostly for you. Most, mostly for you. So any it's of the like... ways that we mentioned before, please reach out to us. Or if you would prefer to shoot us an email, you can do so at firesidebreakdowns at gmail.com. I'm not going to lie. It's like 55% for them, but still 45% for me. Yeah. Yeah. I like doing the research because I'm a huge, huge nerd. Yeah. Knowing things is um, like 70% of my personality and telling other people about the things that I know is like 25%. Right. Right. And then 5% various minutia. Yelling at <laughs> football. The same. That's the listen, other 5%. Listen. The Vikings will have their day. They Someday. Hmm. They probably it, will. We'll both be dead by then, but Maybe. Skull Vikings, right? If we ever go back in time, I can go back to when they were actually having their day in the 90s. We can all dream. We can all dream. I digress. Um, do you have any thoughts? I, I didn't ask you before we, we did the plug. So what is your what are your final thoughts on the, on the matter? Or do you feel like you got them all? No, I feel like we covered them really well there. Like just my biggest and most finalist thought is... I promise you this matters, right? I promise you that having every single person in American society being able to look around them and find someone who looks like them in a position of success, in a position of authority, like that is how we know that these things are possible. If you never saw somebody with whom you could identify in a position like the one you had hoped to be in, you would not know it was possible. And for so very many of us, we're just used to seeing people who look like us doing well. And it can be a big stretch for us to get outside of that and to envision a world in, where people, in which people don't see people who look like them doing well or accomplishing a thing that they want to accomplish. Um, so if that is you then I would encourage you for our next episode especially to take a minute and get yourself in the headspace where you can think outside of your own experience and imagine what it might be like to put yourself in the place of somebody uh, that we're going to talk about heavily in that next episode. I think I've got some audio that can I'll play us out with to support that. But first, some good news. Good news! Good news! The Biden-Harris administration 
elect at the moment, yes. uh, made a huge statement for representation with the announcement of their communication staff. Uh, we shared this on our social media this week as a sneak peek for this episode, but it really felt like a big deal. Not only is the group made up of all women, but it's a diverse group of women with a variety of experience. And I had to include, or we had to include, a caption from Vice President-elect Harris's sister, Mina, who so perfectly called this the Department of I'm Speaking. <laughs> so with that, we're going to bid you all adieu for this week. Um... Like I said, I'll play out a, a clip of uh, some of our of the next generation, the upcoming generation, talking about why representation is so important to them. And we hope you will join us again on Monday for part two of Representation Matters, in which we will take a close look at all the areas where we should be looking for representation and what the flip side of representation looks like. Until then, thank you all very much. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you and take care of each other. Hey, so it turns out that the licensing fees for the video from PBS were just a little too steep for our budget. So I am unfortunately unable to add that to the podcast. I will play out our normal outro now. Uh, however, if you would like to see that video, it is well worth your time. I have included that link in our show notes so you can uh, go to the link on our website and uh, follow it there it is on the pbs news hour website so you can just go directly there and search for uh, why on-screen representation matters according to these teens that's the article title and it will be at the top of that as well thank you <music>